Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Before we get into the message this morning, I, I brought a friend to church this morning. How many of you brought a friend? I brought a friend. He's over there. His name's EJ. And um, I've known EJ. This is going to hurt when I think about how long I've known you. It's been 17 years. I feel old now. Yes, EJ and I met at... Uh, you were a year ahead of me. So... <laughs> Uh, we met at Bible College, it's hard to believe, 17 years ago, and uh, we're so privileged to uh, know each other and to have you come and visit us. I've wanted you here for a long time. EJ is, um, we have a Filipino connection. I, I, I've been known as the vanilla from Manila, and, um, and so one day he's going to take me over there. Um, but he is an urban missionary to Toronto. And in terms of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, I think it's right for me to say you are the first, you were the first urban missionary to the city of Toronto. Is that right? Still the only one. Still the only one. And so it's so great after all these years and spending Bible college together and now after all these years later to see uh, EJ doing an amazing work downtown. And he's going to tell you a little bit about it and come back later and bless us. Thanks, Pastor Jordan. What a great guy. Good morning, friends. Thank you for uh, inviting me. And uh, Pastor Jeff, that was a wonderful time in, in worship. Um, before I begin, I wanted to just read a passage from the Word of God, reading from Psalm 68. The, this is an old song of the nation of Israel. I'm reading from verse 4. It says, start, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. He is father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. You know, there is an old joke that if you wanted to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. <laughs> so when I was in Bible college, I made my plans known to God. Uh, I had these delusions of grandeur. I can talk about it now because it didn't happen. <laughs> I had delusions of grandeur thinking it'd be, I'd be, I thought I was God's gift to the ministry, right? Of course, that made God laugh. I'm pretty sure when I said that, God's like, <laughs> uh, wait till I got something for you. And so when I finished, I actually um, ended up in Edmonton, and God had a funny surprise for me. Right after school, I didn't end up working in a church. I ended up um, working in a men's shelter. And I don't know if any of you have been to a shelter before, but some shelters are particularly smelly in the summer. So this particular shelter that I was interviewing in was the smelliest the dirtiest, the craziest shelter in Edmonton. And I remember um, right before I went for my third interview, there was like a wall of smell. When, you know some, when someone hasn't showered for a while? Any parents in the house? Yeah, your child doesn't like showering. There's like a wall. You don't smell them, and all of a sudden you smell them. This particular shelter was like that. And I remember first time I got hit with this wall of smell, I, I sensed God speak to me. 
and said, EJ, this is the smell of people I love. Now go love them. 16 years ago, I never thought that that one powerful moment would be a defining moment in my life in ministry. And I remember eventually I got moved to, I asked to be transferred to the youth shelter. And back then, um, Crystal Meth was really big out west. It didn't hit out east yet. And 90% of the young people that I met were Crystal Meth addicts. And can I get real with you? Because there's real stuff happening around. First young man who decided to open up to me, he was, um, it's funny, the shelter that I worked in, it was not anything special. It was literally a mat on the floor. And you had to go to bed right away because by 8 o'clock in the morning, we kick everyone out. And so this one particular young man kept on going up to the washroom. I guess he couldn't sleep. It's funny how we think, hey, I can't sleep tonight. I'm going to keep going to the washroom, hoping that will make me sleep. So that's what was happening to him. So finally, by the third time, I interrupted him and said, hey, man, clearly you can't sleep. Why don't you just have a seat and we'll just have a chat? And so while, so he said, sure, that's fine. And this was, I think, around 2 a.m. in the morning. And eventually, during our conversation, God was telling me through the Holy Spirit to ask him about birthdays. I thought that was odd. So eventually I went for it. Hey, man, so have you had any memorable birthdays before? And he said, yeah, last year was great. I turned 19, I got high, I got drunk, I don't remember it, it was great. <laughs> now, this was before the time of Twitter, but if you were a Twitter person back then, this would be hashtag conversation fail. Because <laughs> I like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. But then God told me to press on. It's like, no, man, what's the most memorable birthday you had? And then he droops his head down and he said, oh, I remember, it's when I turned 12. And I asked him, what happened? So apparently he comes from a family of addicts. Um, his parents were both addicts. And because of that, children's aid had taken him away. But uh, on his 12th birthday, he was really missing his family. So he ran away from the group home and searched all over the city of Edmonton to try to find his parents. By the eighth hour, he saw somebody that knew his parents from their drug use and uh, asked this person, hey, have you seen them? And, and uh, this person said no. And he could see the pain in this young man's face. So he did what the only thing he could do, think, or only thing he could think of to ease pain. He gave him a little bit of crack as a birthday present. He spent all day looking for his parents. And finally, at around midnight, he... Um, gave up on looking for his parents and in an empty stairwell to ease his pain, that's when he had his first hit of hard drugs. And then he says to me, thanks for listening, man. I think I can go to bed now. And then he goes to bed. I don't know about you, but I was physically there and my heart was breaking. And I had to just ask my coworker, can I just, I just need to go to the washroom. And he said, fine. And as I sat in that closet, I cried. I thought to myself, no 11-year-old should ever have to do drugs just to feel better about themselves. And as I said that, God spoke to me I said, again and said, now you know what I hear. 
my life has been filled with many incredible holy moments to the point where God allowed me to do ministry in the city I love. I love downtown Toronto. This is my 13th year of ministry in downtown Toronto. And my life has been one incredible adventure after another. Um, I accidentally do funny things. Like I used to run a drug dealer exit program. I used to run a pimp exit program. And now I accidentally have a prison ministry. <laughs> I go to jail all the time. Uh, if ever you read the newspaper and think about someone just got arrested, I want you to know I probably might see them. All the major news stories that end up on the newspaper, they, are go, they go to the South Detention Center. And, and I, I tell you, I sometimes wonder why God would ask me to, to, to have this father's heart to love all these fatherless kids. Because the reality is every single one of the, every single person that I know that has an addiction, chances are they don't come from a family, a healthy one. And God knows how many moments I've had sitting beside hospital beds someone crying over their father not being around and me magically saying, I'll, I'll fill in for now. And I used to say that as a single man. And I always wondered, God, why would you make me a father figure when I'm not even a dad? And I finally discovered why. Because last year, I don't know if you knew, my child was trying to climb the stairs. I just became a dad last year. And I remember God whispering to me again, because one of my favorite things at night, I don't know if any parents here remember the sleepless nights. Yeah, yeah, I got that going on. That's why I was a little late at church today. <laughs> but those moments sometimes, even though I get frustrated, there's moments that God nudges me and is like, hey, this is opportunity for you to pray. And in my times of prayer, God has now told me, you know, all those times you fathered all those father, fatherless kids, is in preparation for this. Now I want you to know, you don't start becoming a father the moment you have children. The moment you be, become in tune with our Father in heaven and want to do his will here on earth, you've become a father in some way, shape, or form. Because that passage I read was not something I needed to wait for until I became became a physical dad. I got to live out that passage as a single man. So I'll close my little brief introduction by reading this passage again and passing it over to Pastor Jordan. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father, to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Thank you, friends.
Amen. Thank you, EJ. And, uh, and you're downtown now, EJ. And you also minister out of your house. You have a house church going on. It's a private thing. Um, you know, I, I encountered, I, I met uh, someone downtown needed resources. EJ was the first guy that I called. How can they get ID? How can they get resources? How can they get an apartment? And uh, EJ is working with all kinds of people downtown, helping them get identification, helping them, you know, travel documents if they need to travel, because a lot of these people who live on the street don't have these documents. He's sometimes doing practical things like helping them make a budget, helping them manage their finances. Like there's nothing outside of the scope of what EJ has his hands in. So let's all as a church be mindful of uh, EJ, and um, hopefully in, in the near future we'll have you back for a full message. You'll come and bless us and, and, and give us a full preaching. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more then all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can we pray one more time? Father, thank you this morning for the relationship we have with you. We know you as Father. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that it would speak to our hearts today about your love, that we would come away refreshed, encouraged, built up, and edified. That, Lord, we wouldn't be afraid of your love, but that we would return to your love again anew this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The heart of God is that you would be encouraged. Encouragement was the motivation of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Encouragement was the motivation for his prayer that we read. Encouragement is the motivation for our prayers as well. The hope of the message today is that you would be encouraged. Not by any false hope, but by a hope that is real. 
a hope that is true, a hope that is genuine and sure, a hope that is grounded in the faith and trust that can only come from our Heavenly Father. Earlier in chapter 3 of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is letting the church know about God's plan. God's plan. I think we had enough of Drake this week, right? Okay. Paul is relating to the church that this plan was a mystery and that he has come to understand this mystery by revelation. It was revealed to him. He said this mystery wasn't brought to light for generations upon generations, but now in the Lord Jesus Christ, this promise, this mystery has been unveiled. Church, let me say this. God knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. If you really understood what God has in store for you, his beloved, you would be encouraged. So often we can get discouraged. It's the easiest thing to look at the wind and the waves and to take that one Short step, that shortcut to the basement emotionally. How many know what I'm talking about? We've got three people here this morning. It's the easiest thing to look at the discouraging report. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus isn't a fancy suggestion for the Christian life. It's the only way to keep your head above water. Paul is saying here that if you really understood what God has in store for you, if you could really map or wrap your mind around it, if only you could know what I know, Paul is saying, if you could see what I see, then there's nothing you couldn't face. There's nothing you couldn't overcome if you really understood all that God has in his plan for you. Your weakness would be exchanged for strength. Your fear would evaporate and faith would emerge. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived... The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us. How? By his spirit. If we could only get a grasp of God's plan for us. That he would reveal by his spirit how much he loves us. We could face anything. All of the discouragement that you're going through. All of the bad reports that you've heard. All of the wind and the waves would evaporate before our eyes if we could just get a handle on all that God has for it. How much he loves us. How much he wants to bless us and to to be in intimate relationship with us. We could face anything. Look at Romans 8, 18 through 21. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Amen? Have you ever been frustrated? Are you frustrated right now? Something's going on that, that leaves you frustrated. Why, why do we get frustrated? I think probably there's a number of reasons. We're not going to tackle every reason for being frustrated this morning. But one of the main reasons why we get frustrated is because we feel sometimes that we, maybe we have an expectation of what we want to see, an expectation of what we believe should happen, and the expectation is not being met. And more than that, we feel that we want our situation to change, or we want the circumstances to change, but we feel almost powerless to be able to do anything. Is anybody here? We feel sometimes that we're asking God, please come rescue me in this situation. I'm frustrated by what I see, and I just don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have the means or the capacity to bring about the change that I want to see, and it's leaving me frustrated. Romans says that all of creation is frustrated as it eagerly awaits redemption from the bondage of this decay that we see in this world. It's so easy to get discouraged. But if we really understood God's plan, we'd be encouraged. Amen? Look at Romans 8.38. This is a bit later on in the same chapter. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an awesome place to say amen. Thank you. What is it that you're facing today? What is it that you're frustrating with? This is an exhaustive list here. Nothing in all of creation is able to separate you, brother, you, sister, from the love of God that is in Christ. Are you encouraged? Whatever's going on, it can't separate you from God's love. If you really knew and understood what God desires to do in you and for you and through you, you would be encouraged. If you could really just catch a glimpse of his love for you, of his desire that you would be freed from fear, from insecurity, you would be encouraged beyond your circumstances. The encouragement God our Father desires for each of us is that by his spirit we would be made strong. It's so interesting uh, what Paul writes specifically in that passage in Ephesians. His prayer to God is not that the outward circumstances would change, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, alive in them, the church, and alive in us, we would be made strong in our hearts. It says in our inner being. Isn't that interesting? Paul's prayer is not that the circumstances would change, but that we would be made strong in our hearts, in our inner being. Is that where our focus is when something comes up? Is that where we place our energy? When we see the wind and the waves, when we get the bad report, when we are made aware of the strife and the pain that prevails in our world, 
Is our first reaction to roll up our sleeves, to jump into action and save the day? We're not the Paw Patrol. I'm not advocating that at every point we stand by and do nothing. But what I am saying is this. The warrior is not ready for battle until they've come to know peace. And that the truth is that some things can be fixed, other things not so much. At least not by us. As Pastor Jeff likes to say, there's purpose in the process. It's a good word. The prayer of Paul isn't about changing the outside world at all. It's about Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. The hope here is that you would be established in the love of God. What does it mean to be established? It means founded, grounded, and surrounded in the Father's love. This love is greater than knowledge. It's greater than what we can even grasp intellectually. It's much more than, than what our minds have the capacity to contain. His love is greater than what we can know. His love is beyond what we can understand and comprehend. As much as we can fill our minds and our hearts with the love of God, still his love is more. Pastor Jeff, you need to help me out. That was a great place to say amen to. Okay. Someone say immeasurably more. So how much is that? (laughs) The answer is more. No, really, how much is immeasurably more? That's the thing. You can't measure it. You can't add it up. You can't come to the end of it. When you think you have, there's still more to count. When you feel like you've come to the end of his grace, there is more. When you feel like you've arrived at a place where God's love has run out, you are wrong. God's river of love can never run dry. His love for you will never run out. It's inexhaustible. Someone shout, there's more. This is the kind of love that will hold you up when all you want to do is collapse. This is the kind of love that will strengthen you when all you have left is weakness. When the work is hard and when the work is long, this is the kind of love that will encourage your heart beyond reason. Even when things don't make sense and they frequently do not make sense. The love of God shed abroad in your hearts is the understanding passing peace that rebukes the discouraging word and speaks a better truth. In this love, we are established, we are founded, grounded, and surrounded, and firmly fixed in Him who loves us. This is the love of God. Now you might say, so what? God loves me, this I already know. This isn't new. You're right. Brother, sister, this isn't about intellectual assent. This isn't an exercise in information. Paul isn't praying for that. In fact, he states that this love, the love of God, starts with our head, yes, but for it to be of any effect, it must be found in our heart. 
You might know about God's love. You might have been in church your whole life. You might have been born on the steps. I don't know. You might have gone through every Sunday school lesson. You've downloaded your Bible certificate from that weekend course you did online. Whatever, whatever it is, you have the information. But there's a difference between having information here and having it here. There's a difference. You might know about God's love. You might sing the songs and quote verses to me. You might have been born and raised in church, and yet the same love that you can articulate with fancy theology is the same love that you resist. This love is unearnable, church. In your own strength and in your own power, it's unattainable. In your own ability, unachievable. But by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, come on somebody, the love of God is ours forever. And thank God we can't earn it. There's so many people that need the love of God. My prayer is that our eyes would be opened to see the needs all around us. That we would share God's heart. It is the heart of a father. There's a quick story. Uh, many of you know Blaine. I want, if you don't, I want to introduce him to you. Check out this video. And I grew up in a farm, and really all I wanted to do was farm. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was kind of a turning point in my life. Uh, my dad was a GM worker. My dad was on the farm as well. And he somehow could make it work, but I didn't think in my mind I could. So I started my career, and uh, I saw men around me quite differently. I had lots of friends in high school that were on the edge, loved to party, but these guys were really rough. And uh, that was way over the top for me. So I had lots of conversations with God. Why couldn't I farm? Why was I here? What was my purpose? And... uh, that went on for a couple of years. A couple of years into my GM career, God answered that prayer uh, in a very still but clear way. And he said, uh, Jesus loves you very much. You know that. I love you very much. And I love the people around you very much. <laughs> And that made uh, a huge difference in that whole conversation. It went from looking at the guys the, the way I pictured them to looking at the guys the way God pictured them. Uh, he wanted them to be whole. And uh, that was something still touches my life today. So that changed my career. I worked at General Motors for 34 years, and God did some awesome things there. Prayer meetings, Bible studies, just conversations. Uh, being a listening ear or a friend, and uh, it was really super special. No matter the cost to love you Well, I, I think a, a lot of men suffered uh, in ways maybe even just like we think maybe the outside world is. You know, we, we can struggle in marriage. We can struggle at work. Um, 
<clears throat> finances. And but we, when we don't have the answers and we don't know, uh, sometimes have the tools to just know that we can rely on God or you know, have a friend to talk to. I think it's just something that uh, we need to get a handle on. And I think there's a time and a place for guys just to start communicating that. And, and they need, sometimes they need an open place with listening ears that aren't judgmental, but they can just come and be part of those good friends. Well, I think that if there is an opportunity for men to come together as a, as a team outside of a men's group, um, they, it would definitely be a special place for people to know um, their story is heard, and that's the, what the night is about. It's uh, learning your story, learning how to share your story, and learning that God's in your story, and, uh, and that's very important. I think we need to have that freedom to know that God has created us for something way special uh, than maybe what we think right now. It's bigger than us. Definitely pray about it. Ask God, uh, what, what is there that you're talking to me about? And do I need to talk to somebody about it? Um, we, we've been uh, doing some great things with small groups, and, and I really encourage small groups. But if there's something that's really specific that you need to get off your heart and know there's a specific team of guys that could just do that with, I think it's something to consider. So pray about that. And if, uh, if God's directing you that way, I'd love to have a conversation about it with you. Pray that over with you. Amen. Blaine's not here this week, and that's why we recorded the video. Um, but he's been speaking to Pastor Jeff and I over the last couple of weeks about just the need for men to have a very secure place where they can open up about even the deep things that they're facing. Some men are facing deep anxiety. Some men are facing suicidal thoughts. Some men are facing all kinds of things like addiction. And, you know, I, I read testimonies every week and invariably there's a testimony and it goes something like this uh you know i was eating a bowl of cereal and all of a sudden i just started crying and i don't even know why it happened again or you'll hear a good report oh it's three days without me crying or without having these thoughts and i think there is an opportunity for a space to provide a context, like Blaine said, to share our stories. Maybe that's on your heart. If it is, Blaine will be back next week. Have a chat with him. We're going to begin praying about this. We don't know what it looks like yet, but we want to invite you to begin thinking and praying on that. Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
The action here by the son, most Bible commentators suggest it was utterly disgraceful. It is equivalent to telling the father, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. Since I consider you dead, just give me my inheritance now. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living, and he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. This son turned his back on his father. This son couldn't remain in the presence of his father. It says that he he went to a place that was far away. It wasn't long in the story that the distance in his heart now became the actual distance physically. The only thing left in this son's possession was the cash And the son was clearly in a rush to spend that all too. But in so doing, he removed the final threads of his relationship with his father. Even the money was gone. In verse 15, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, this son came to a point where nothing was left. No presence, no peace, and no resource. Nothing. It seems like as long as this guy was enabled, he just couldn't wake up. And only when every avenue of enablement was played out did this guy come to his senses. He really only had one card left to play. He was banking on the grace of his father. Verse 20 says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Here his father saw him from far away. How? The only explanation is that the father was actively looking for him. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here the father restores his son, not as a slave or as a servant, but as a son. As long as the son remained away from his father's presence, he had no peace. As soon as his ability and resources were tapped out. Maybe maybe this story resonates with you. EJ, you can come. Just begin to play. Maybe if you're honest, you profess one thing but live completely differently. You might know intellectually about the love of God, but... If you're honest today in your heart before God, you would say, God, I've resisted your love in this area or this area. I know how to 
talk a good game. I can tell people about the grace of God. I can tell people about the love of God. I can explain all of the theology and the spiritual truths about how much God loves us. But when it comes to me accepting the love of God and being secure in that and putting away my fear and putting away my insecurity and putting away my weakness and exchanging it for his strength by his spirit, that's where I resist. Would you receive the love of God afresh today? Unearned, unmerited, nothing you can do to earn it. Just receive it with arms open wide. You might say, I don't know you. I don't know your situation. Listen, it couldn't be worse than this guy. Maybe you come at this story from a completely different you. In your case, you love God. You just can't believe that he loves you back. Maybe you run from his love. You run from his presence. You've done all you could to earn his love and acceptance, but nothing works. Maybe today you're here in church, and yet your heart, in your heart, you've never felt further to God's love. Maybe you're, you've done everything you, you can to put a distance between you and God. You've closed your heart and, hear the, uh, and you, you're unable at this point to even hear the whispers of his love. Is that you today? Have you already, as I'm talking about the love of God, have you already shut down that conversation in your mind? Have you already said, I know this, I don't need to go any further. I don't need to open up my heart anymore. This is for you. Maybe today, as EJ sings, you'll meet God at this altar and receive his love. Despite how you run, despite what you've done, maybe today your peace has run out and you need God to fill it up again. Your resources have run dry, your strength has been tapped, and you need to return to the place of God's love. Maybe you have no cards left to play. The beauty of God's love is this, that while we think we were looking for him the whole time, he was looking for you. I promise the moment you turn back to God's love is the self-same moment that he runs to you to embrace you, to restore you, to remake you, to transform you by his grace. He gives you his presence and he will give you his peace.